Matthew 13, 24 to 30. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Matthew 13, 36-43 Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Sohi, for leading us in that prayer. Thank you, Erica, for reading scripture for us, that parable that we'll be looking at in just a moment. And I appreciated the sound effects there. Those were great to have uh, the weed whacker in the background. Um, I know that was that was probably intentional, a parable about, uh, about the weeds. Well, uh, this, this summer we're in a series on the parables of Jesus, the short stories that he loved to tell. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, Matthew says that Jesus didn't teach anything uh, to the crowds of people without using a parable. Last week, we saw that the disciples uh, asked Jesus about this. They asked him, why do you always teach in parables? And the way that I would summarize his answer that we saw last week is this. Jesus said, parables these stories I tell, they're not simple stories uh, just to make things easier to understand. No, in fact, Jesus said these stories are subversive stories that in one sense make things harder for us to understand. Jesus told these stories to completely challenge and overturn the way the crowds then and the way that we today Think about God and his ways. They challenge some of our deepest held assumptions and get in through our defenses in order for us to know Jesus for who he really is. Not to assume who he is. Not, not the Jesus that we expect him to be or the categories that we hold for him. Parables get in behind all of those things to overturn and change us. This is why uh, parables are also great for people who are not familiar with Jesus and who are new to Christianity, because there is a very good chance that the Jesus you may be familiar with from popular understanding, maybe the Jesus that you've been told about or seen portrayed sometimes by even Christians and, and churches, is not 
the real Jesus at all. Parables can show you this. Parables are also very important for Christians too. People who feel like they're pretty well familiar with Jesus and his ways. Parables can show us the parts of what we think we know. The parts of what we think we understand that need to be re-examined. That need to be challenged and sometimes completely overturned. If we really listen. If we're able to listen to these parables and say, Jesus, I'm not interested in who I make you out to be. I'm not interested in whom I assume you to be or expect you to be, but I'm interested in who you really are. That's when the parables can open us, open up our hearts and open us to new ways of knowing Jesus and how he works. So this morning up front, this parable that we just heard read, let me say this, if we're really listening, we'll make things hard for us. This story and its application to our lives speaks to evils in our world. The things that in our world now have been causing us so much pain, that have been producing so much grief in us. This parable and its application will speak to and address those things. Of course, not exhaustively, but in a very powerful and in a very needed way. It speaks to the evil of, of disease. It speaks to evil and all its effects. But in particular, it speaks to the division that exists between people, to the evils of injustice, and even, as we'll see, to the evils of racism. It speaks to these things in a way that we need to hear. And these things are our heart issues. And there is a great heaviness that I've been experiencing in my own heart, trying to make sense of what's been happening and what it looks like to listen to God's word, to listen to people, to bring it all together in a way that we can understand and in the way that is so he prayed, that we, we can act appropriately and faithfully as followers of Jesus. This parable will help, I believe. As Jesus told this story to address two very important questions related to all of these things, the evils in the world and the divisions in our world. Two questions come up with regard to these things. One is, Jesus, where are you in a world where evil seems to run rampant? Where it seems to be given permission to run rampant? with disease, with division, oppression, and violence? How can the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign over every dimension of life, how can it be here? How can it have come with you when all these things are still present in the world and in our lives? It comes down to this, Jesus, what are you doing about it if you are who you say you are? And secondly, that, that's the first set of questions. The second set of questions have to do with, with us and our response. What are we to do in a world where evil seems to always exist side by side with good. This story addresses these questions. And note, we're, we're skipping over two short parables. If you have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 13, you'll see that Jesus tied a number of stories together that are meant to go together. This morning, our focus is, is going to be on the story of the wheat and the weeds. Next Sunday, we'll go back to the stories of the mustard seed and the leaven. This parable is a parable of faith and the place of, of patient trust. Next Sunday, there are two parables of faith and the place of action, faithful action, and there's a balance there. So we'll go back to those two parables next week, but this week, 
My title for this morning is Wheat and Weeds, this parable of the wheat and weeds, Jesus and the questions of justice. Now I want, because this, this story, I believe, speaks so powerfully in a way that we need to hear, maybe be overturned, I want to pause right now and just pray before we get into this story. Would you open your hearts and pray this prayer with me? Jesus, reveal to us what you want us to see, even if it means things will be overturned in me. Plant the seed of your word in our hearts and turn our hearts to you so that we might be healed and others might find healing in you. We ask it in your name. Amen. Thanks for praying that along with me. I felt like I, I need extra prayer as we move in uh, to this story. So this, this parable is one of only two parables where we get the story and Jesus gives us the explanation to go with it. But before we move right into the interpretation and the explanation, first we need to make sure we've heard the story. So let's just review it. If you have your Bible, Matthew 13, uh, let's review this story. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven God's rule and reign over every dimension of life may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, right? So good seed in the field, that's how the kingdom of heaven comes. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, and he sowed weeds among the wheat, and he left. So when the plants start sprouting and producing grain, then the weeds also appeared. And then the landowner servants came and said to him, Master, what's going on? Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did these weeds come from? That's a, a good question. He said, an enemy did this. So do you want us to go and pull them up? The servants asked him. No, he said. When you pull up the weeds, you might uproot the wheat with them. So let both of them grow together till the harvest. And at harvest time, then I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and then tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. So, so there's, there's the story, the story of a farmer and a field and weeds and wheat. You know, I've never studied or reflected on this parable uh, in, in depth before this week, but as I read it and as I wrestled with it, I realized this story raises for us two of the most important questions we have about Jesus and evil injustice. Two questions that might be that might be bubbling up, that might we, we might be wrestling with, with all that's happening in our world right now. And this parable also gives us a very important answer. So that's our outline for this morning. Two questions and an answer. First, the natural question. Eventually, at some point in our lives, every thinking person, every whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, will come to what I'm calling here this morning the natural question about God, about evil, about justice and judgment. Now, this is a question I would imagine probably all of you have felt or asked in some way in these past few months with disease and with, with hoarding, with the response to the disease of, of COVID-19 and how we can handle that, and now with killings with racism that's being exposed and revealed for what it is, with, with the protest and with grief and lament and division about how to make sense and handle and respond to it all. At some point in the human heart, we say, where did all this evil come from? If you're there, God, why is this evil here? 
why don't you take it all the way? This question can be asked from the youngest human being. I've, I've talked with my own sons, and at some point they said, where, where did this come from? Why is it here? When they were very, very small, two and three years old, all the way throughout our lives, this question rises up in the human heart when we see evil exposed for what it is. And this is the first question raised in the parable. If you look at verse 27, they say to the master, what happened? Where did the weeds come from? The servants of the sower, they look at the sower's work, and they look at his good seed and his own field that sprouted good wheat, and then they see these bad seeds sprout, this weed, and they say, how did this happen? We saw what you did. If you are, and then if you're good and you do good work and sow only good seed in your field, where did all this bad come from? This question is a form of what we call the problem of evil. If God is all good and all powerful, why does he permit evil to exist in his world? The question people had for Jesus was, if you have brought the kingdom of God, then why aren't you sweeping away all evil? Why aren't you getting rid of all the weeds now? They were saying, why hasn't judgment come and evil ended? So the first point of application of this parable is this. We might feel like this question is off limits or out of bounds for us. We might feel guilty or wrong if we feel this question rising up in our hearts and wrestle with it and have doubt over it. But the Bible itself Here's the first point of application. The Bible itself, Jesus himself, brings up this question. And this is not the only place. We see it raised in Job, in the Psalms, and many other places throughout the Bible. And with all that's happening in our world right now, this is a question I would expect to be rising up in your hearts, and it has been in mine. So hear this. Jesus is saying here in this story that the problem of evil, it is a problem. It is a natural question to ask in this story that Jesus told. He framed and told the story in a way that it would come up. And that's what I want you to see here about this story, that Jesus tells the story with a framework that resonates with every human heart. In this framework, this question naturally arises. It's a valid question. Jesus tells the story to affirm the framework in every human heart as well as to raise this question for us in our hearts. Let me explain this. If you look at the story, let's go through the story again. It says the field. Jesus says the field, this field that's being sowed, is the world. It's mixed with good and evil. There is the work of the sower, and there is the work of the enemy. There's the good seed, and there's the seed that produces weeds. Here Jesus is clearly saying there is a difference between good and and evil. And we can put that slide up, the natural question in the framework of this story. As you're following along, as I'm telling this, there we go. There is a real difference between good and evil. That's the first obvious point of the story. As the story goes on, we see the field, the world, it's God's field. There is an original goodness. He is sowing good seed in his field, but there is another force at work, an enemy, sin, evil, and all their effects we see, are an intrusion into God's good world. They don't belong here. Evil and injustice in the world is not from God. Jesus says this is the work of an enemy. 
Evil and all its effects are an intrusion into the world. And that's the second part of the framework. We can advance that slide to the next slide. So there's a real difference between good and evil. Evil is an intrusion into a good world. And at harvest time, last point, the work of evil will be dealt with. There is the burning and the end of evil. So evil will not coexist with good forever. Jesus tells this story to build that framework, and that framework resonates in every human heart. Now, by no means are all our questions answered in this parable. There's still the mystery of God's permission and his timing. But in this parable, Jesus affirms the basic framework and invites the question. Now, with so much evil and injustice and suffering exposed, we may be, in our wrestling with this question, tempted to doubt. We may be in wrestling with this question, even be tempted to leave our faith behind. But to use the problem of evil as a reason to reject God, friends, is to be left with an even bigger problem. We see this in the story. Why? Because without God, you lose the framework. You lose the real and ultimate difference between right and wrong and good and evil. You lose the ability to say evil is an intrusion into this good, good world. In fact, without God and original goodness and evil simply coexists and is inherent in this world side by side. And you lose the hope of in the end, evil will be defeated. Good will triumph over evil. So the problem of evil is a problem. But it's an even bigger problem without God. Because without God, you lose the entire framework. This week, I was really encouraged as I was reading a sermon, an old sermon by the Reverend Martin Luther King called Rediscovering Lost Values. In this, in this sermon, he's speaking about what we need to challenge uh, injustice, what we need to do good and see good come. And he says we need to rediscover two what he calls lost values. One, that uh, the universe has a moral foundation, and two, that this moral foundation requires a spiritual reality. There's a moral foundation and a spiritual reality behind that moral foundation. He's saying that we have to have an order to see justice being done and to fight for good and see change. We need to know there is a real difference between right and wrong, an ultimate difference between right and wrong. And that difference is founded in the reality that God is really there, a good and just God. And we are all personally accountable to him. Friends, this framework that Jesus upholds, without answering all our questions, this natural question, without answering all our questions about the origin and his permission with regard to evil and injustice in our world. He upholds the framework, and that means this, to lament over evil, to cry out for it to end, to seek good, to do justice, is not in vain. It's not working against the grain of the universe and the way things are and always have been. No. It's not to wish for a story to be true that isn't true. No, this story gives us the framework for lament. It gives us the reason for crying out for justice, for doing good, even our questioning when things are not right and we see evil, which seems to have 
the upper hand. So friends, don't despair or give up hope. That's the first lesson of this parable. The moral framework, the framework of the story is true. What you hope for, you are right to hope for. You are right to feel like evil in all its forms does not belong and must be dealt with. Secondly, because there is a difference between right and wrong, this parable, it, it, it calls us to, to discern the difference. Now, the enemy's first strategy here in the story is to sow and mix evil in God's good world. Notice, he does this in a way that's hard to see, that we don't always see. Evil can't win. There's no stopping God's work, the work of the sower and the, the, um, the seeds from sprouting, the wheat to grow up. He knows what's awaiting him and his work. So what does evil do? It tries to counterfeit the good, the work of good. So wherever good is sown, evil tries to sow right alongside with it. This parable calls us to discernment, to learn the difference between justice and injustice, right and wrong. Because evil works to mix that all up and counterfeit it. So that, that's the natural question. The natural question is, if you're the king, Jesus, why are you allowing evil and injustice? But there's another question in this story. That's the second point. It follows what I just said about the need to discern good and evil between justice and injustice. The servants do see uh, the difference between right and wrong in this parable in the story. And so they ask their second question in verse 28. They say, do you want us to go and pull them up? And the sower, the master, says in verse 29, no, that's not your job. If you do this, you will uproot the wheat along with the weeds. Jesus is saying the problem of evil will be addressed. A reckoning is coming for all, all people. We are not accountable for others, but we are accountable for our own life, he says. Now, we must know and help others come to know the difference between right and wrong. He says in his explanation that those who cause others to stumble in sin who are guilty of lawlessness are accountable for that. But Jesus here says we, he's speaking especially to his followers, are not in a position to be the ultimate judges of the lives of other people. That is not our place. That is his place alone. So the first strategy of evil is to mix and sow alongside good, to counterfeit the work of good. But there is a second strategy. The enemy's second strategy is to sow discord, to sow conflict in the world through self-righteous judgment, to turn people on each other and to turn us into judges. This is why the question, do you want us to go and pull them up, is such a dangerous question. Now, this is one of the clearest places in the Bible that forbids prejudice in all of its forms. The definition of prejudice, made up of two words, prejudge, prejudice, means it means to judge in advance, to pass judgment in advance. Here, Jesus is prohibiting prejudice of all forms for any reason. When we make judgments in advance for any reason, 
based on race or ethnicity or culture or class or political leanings or denomination of Christianity, any category, Jesus is saying we do the work of the enemy. Now there's a little bit of background that's important here. These weeds, the word weeds here in the text is the Greek word zizania. And sometimes it's translated tear, the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds. This is uh, speaking of a specific type of weed that was very common in ancient Israel. It's called bearded darnel. And the thing about this particular weed is that when it was growing up, especially when it was um, in its stages of infancy and sprouting, this darnel, this weed looks exactly like the wheat. And you can't really tell the difference until they mature. I have a few pictures of this Darnell plant. Let's put, there's that one. As you see on the sides, it looks very much like a stalk of wheat. And then side by side, let's get that picture. Um, on one side, uh, on my left here is the wheat. It's the thicker plant. On the other side is the weed. <laughs> it's very hard to tell these two apart. Even in, these, in this picture, but all the more so as they're, they're sprouting and growing and they haven't reached their full maturity. This parable is warning us against prejudice in all its forms because when we take judgment into our hands, as verse 29 says, we will pull up weeds. We will pull up the wheat alongside the pulling up of the weeds. Jesus says it as a certainty that if we take judgment into our own hands, we will pull up wheat. We will damage it. It will happen in our zeal to separate. Our prejudgment will be wrong, Jesus is saying. Secondly, when we take judgment into our hands, we are always too quick to judge. The wheat and the weeds cannot be distinguished except over time. It cannot be done immediately. Jesus is saying the time for judgment has been extended. And we say, why? The answer is because God is giving an opportunity for all people to repent, to change, to respond to the gospel. And it takes time to bear fruit, to see the difference. It takes endurance and perseverance over the course of our lives. You know, it makes me think about this as I was processing this. Would you want to be judged, those of you who are older, based on who you were when you were 17 or 22 or 25 or 32? We, over our lifetime, we change. We grow. That is the slow work and the patient, persevering work of God in our life. It's an organic image. And so if we make quick judgments about others, when they're still growing, they're still learning, God is still giving them a time to respond, we judge too quickly. When we take judgment in our hands, we also cause other people to react in judgment against us. If it were left up to human beings to sort out the wheat from the weeds, then in the words of the ancient church father Chrysostom, a never-ending war will be introduced to the world. A war and a cycle of judgment. You know, my struggle with this story this week as I process this, that when we take judgment into our own hands, we will 
will pull up the weed along with the weeds. We'll always rush to judgment too quickly, and we'll introduce this never-ending war. We'll incite judgment to come against us. And as I struggle with the story this week, living in a world where everyone wants to have a take and make a statement and a call to action, this, this parable, this story, it made me ask the question, is this parable calling for passivity in the face of evil and injustice? This parable has been used in that way, but I don't think that's the main point. What this author, uh, Klein Snodgrass, who wrote an incredible book on the parables, what he said about this was very helpful, and I want to share um, a quote from him. He says, The biblical message always leaves us dealing with tension, and this is the tension I felt even in this parable. We cannot be tolerant of evil. But the destruction of all evil is not our task. We must stop being evil, and we must stop evil from destroying. But how can we stop evil without becoming evil in the process? That may well be the human question. Now, the story that Jesus told, I think, leaves us in this tension. How can we stop evil without becoming evil in the process? But his explanation, his interpretation of the parable, moves us towards the answer to that question and the resolving of some of that tension. So let's turn to my third point. This parable does leave us with this tension, this, this, these human questions. But what can we do? What are we supposed to do? Just sit back and be passive? No, that's not it. Because this parable also supplies us with the divine answer. Though it gives us the natural question and the dangerous question, it gives us the divine answer, which is a certain answer. Jesus says, God has an answer to the questions of evil and injustice. Judgment is coming, and it is certain for all of us. All evil will one day be dealt with and defeated. Jesus says at the harvest, at the end of the age, there will be a gathering. There will be a burning. There will be a reaping, and evil and injustice will be dealt with finally and forever. As we read the way that Jesus describes this final reckoning, it's very sobering. As he says, he will, his reapers will gather, the angels will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and who are guilty of lawlessness and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. It's very sobering, but Jesus gives a very certain answer to the problem of evil. And he says justice is coming, evil will meet its end. Attempts to give an answer to the problem of evil have traditionally been called theodicy. And that's uh, a word made up of two words, theos and dike, which means justice. Theos, meaning God, dike, justice. How is God going to bring justice to this world? Is God just? This story tells us there is a certain answer to that question. Yes, God is just. The way that Jesus ends the story, though, with these two vivid pictures, a blazing furnace or shining glory, it answers the questions, justice is coming, but it's also meant to raise another one. If we're really listening, as he says, if we're really hearing, it's meant to turn our focus from the evil and the sin out there 
to ourselves and the evil and the sin within us. It's meant to force us to ask where we are in this story. In order for us to be people who pursue justice and do good and seek to stop evil, we have to face the question of judgment for ourselves. This is not a comfortable question. But the, the story forces us to ask, if there are wheat and there are weeds, which one am I? Can I trust my own judgment? If I quickly conclude, of course, I'm a wheat. The Apostle James is helpful in James chapter 4 and 5. I have a few um, references that I'd like to share with you and put up on the screen. James is very helpful here. He says, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow or his fellow brother and sister defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge the point of this parable. There's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. There is only one judge over the furnace and the shining forever of the righteous. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, this is James 5.9. The judge stands at the door. This is what Jesus is saying in the story. Look, the judge stands at the door. There is a certain answer to the question of evil and injustice in the world. Have you ever been um, doing something you shouldn't be doing <laughs> with a group of other people? Uh, maybe you were, a, you were in a group and you guys were just slacking off at work and the boss wasn't around and you guys were just, just slacking off, doing your own thing. Or maybe you were supposed to be cleaning. Maybe you're supposed to be doing a chore in your room. And instead, you're just playing and making more of a mess. You think it's just you and those who are with you in the room or in the group. But all of a sudden, you hear the door handle start to turn. You see the doorknob start to move and creak. What do you feel in that moment? Your first thought is not, oh, look, everyone else here is going to get it. The boss is here. Mom and dad are here. Your first thought is, I'm going to get it. What's going to happen to me? James is saying, the handle is turning. Jesus is saying, the harvest is coming. And so the question is, is there something that can, one, assure us of God's victory over sin and evil and injustice? Is there something that can assure us of God's justice, can settle the question of our own judgment? Am I a wheat or am I a weed? And thirdly, can make us into people who don't judge others, who can work for justice, who can work against evil without becoming evil ourselves, that can make us righteous but not self-righteous? Is there anything that can do that to say, to our hearts, that can speak to our hearts, God is just. And you are right with him. And you can make things right without making things worse. 
Friends, there is something that can do that. It is the seed, the seed of the gospel, the word of the gospel, the seed of the sower. Jesus raises this tension that can only be resolved in the cross. For in the cross, Jesus' death on our behalf, we see God's righteous and just judgment against sin and all evil. We see, here is what I deserve for how I have caused others to stumble, but my guilt of lawlessness. We see the furnace of God's wrath against sin, his just judgment against evil. But we also see God's mercy and God's grace, that instead of the judgment I deserve, I get the verdict that Jesus deserved. Romans 3, 26 says, On the cross, God demonstrates his justice so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. On the cross, what happened? Jesus experienced judgment day. The harvest came, the judgment came upon him in our place so that when the door handle turns, when we hear the judge at the door, we think not, I'm going to get what I deserve when that happens. No. We say, here is the one coming who took what I deserve in my place. I want you to hear that. When James says, look, the judge is coming, the gospel is telling us that we don't respond in fear with the prospect of judgment and justice in God's reckoning with all sin and evil. We don't say, oh, my judgment is now coming. We say, my judgment has already come. Here is the one coming who took my place, who took the judgment that I deserve. And this changes everything. This changes everything. When we believe this in our hearts, when the seed of the gospel gets into the heart, it means the end of all prejudice. How can I pass judgment on others for any reason, others that I don't fully know, when God who fully knows me He took my judgment. He took my own sin in my place. My job is not to be a judge or to pass judgment on other people. My job is to be a witness to the gospel, to the good news, to the good news that God is just and justifier. Instead of speaking judgment, I can learn to listen. I can speak words that leads to repentance, speak words of grace. It means the end of all prejudice. It means the end of vengeance. The only way that we can properly work for justice and not take justice into our own hands and not seek vengeance and take vengeance into our own hands, continuing the cycle of evil, is to know that there is a God of justice. God says, vengeance is mine, not yours, says the Lord, which means there is a strategy to end the cycle of evil. There is something that we can do. If we leave justice and vengeance into God's hands, what can we do? The gospel gives us the power. The gospel gives us the most effective strategy in the world against evil and injustice. It's in Romans 12 when Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. On the cross, God turned the tables on evil. The injustice and evil of the cross became 
not only the place where God demonstrated the certainty of his justice, but where God turned the tables on evil in order to bring about good through the power of his grace, through the power of his faithful and unending love. So we know, friends, that God's patience is not indifferent, it's not permissiveness. We know that it's God's patience in order that we might turn to him, let the seed of the gospel get into our hearts, trusting in him and being changed into people who can seek good without bringing evil, who can seek what is right without being judges. We can leave that to God. Let's pray. Jesus, in this story, there are things that are overturning in my own heart, and I'm sure for those listening, things that are being challenged and overturned in their hearts. We know this story, and even your explanation, it doesn't answer all our questions. As we wrestle with the fact and the reality and the pain of evil in our world and all around us. But Lord, as we look to our own hearts, I pray that the gospel would come alive and go deeper into us than ever before in order that we might release the need to be judges so that we can be servants, that we might release the need to make judgments and instead be those who are able to do good. Lord, Help us, help us to receive and trust and place these questions into your hands, trusting, trusting you for your timing and for your will and for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And until that time, change us. Give us a fresh humility. Give us a fresh amazement that we will not face the God of judgment, but instead we will meet the God of amazing grace. May that melt us and change the way that we treat others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.